Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, you are listening to Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. It is me, Daisy. Welcome. This is a podcast all about extraordinary people and extraordinary stories. Here we will shine the spotlight on their journeys and hopefully learn something about ourselves and the way that we live our lives from their experiences too. Join me for the next half an hour as we get to know our guest. I am a massive fan of our guest on this episode. It's hospice nurse Julie who educates us on the death and dying process on social media. She is currently using her platform to spread awareness, grant comfort and ease fears surrounding a conversation that is often really difficult to start. This one really gives you so much perspective on life. And if you've ever lost someone like I have, it can really provide you with some peace of mind. So I'm a massive fan of our guest on this week's podcast. She has been sharing her experiences on social media of working in a hospice. And I feel like she offers such a beautiful and comforting perspective on the end of life. And she's on a mission to normalize conversations surrounding death, which I think is really important. She's here to chat with us today. It is the one, the only hospice nurse, Julie. How are you doing? Hey, Daisy. Hi, <laughs> thank you for having me. I'm well. Oh, I am so happy that you're doing this I'm so happy that you're on this week's episode I think this is actually going to be a personal favorite Um, I'm a massive fan of the work that you're doing on social media I think you're making a real real difference oh my gosh thank you thank you thank you thank you (laughs) I'll start off by asking you the question that I'm sure you get a lot how did you get into your line of work Julie well I'm I mean I'm a nurse first right so I know I say Mm. hospice nurse Julie uh, but I started out in the ICU which is uh, intensive care unit Um, And I was there for most of my career. I've been a nurse for 14 years. I was there for about nine. And Mm -hmm. that experience where we're trying to keep people alive, right? And hooking Mm -hmm. them up to all types of machines to try to get their body back to quote unquote normal so they Mm -hmm. can survive really started making me see that just that, I mean, that's definitely a place for some people. Right. And then other people, I felt like we were almost doing a disservice after a while. It was kind of like, okay, when are we going to start having a conversation about this person will likely die no matter what we do. Right. And if that's the case, how is this, how does this person and their family, where do they want that to happen? Do they want it to be in the hospital? Do they want to go home? You know, just even opening that conversation because maybe they'll maybe they'll say no we do want to stay here and if that's the case Mm -hmm. then great but i do think that conversation was just never had and Mm -hmm. it gave me a passion about learning how to have it (laughs) 
<laughs> so mm-hmm. after nine years of experiencing that, um, I am thankful, even though I didn't really enjoy being an ICU nurse, I'm thankful for the experience because it really made me a great nurse and gave me tons of knowledge to help me with what I'm doing now, which then I transitioned into hospice nursing, which is a whole nother realm. And I've been doing that for about five years. And I just been learning and learning and learning. And then I felt like most, what I learned is most people don't know about death and dying, including Mm -hmm. other doctors and nurses who aren't in the hospice and palliative care realm. So that's where I started the TikTok and Instagram thing. And uh, here I am. (laughs) It's so true. I think it, it, it can be such a scary, strange thing to try and educate yourself on and to try and navigate. And I think unless you have had personal experience of, you know, someone close to you dying or, or going through that process, you you don't really find yourself researching it on the internet. So I think it is really amazing that you were sort of sharing this knowledge on something like social media, which is, you know, it's, it's, it's accessible to pretty much everyone. What was your attitude towards death before getting into this line of work? That's a great question. So I was always fascinated fascinated a bit about, I wouldn't Mm -hmm. say death, but maybe what happened after death, right? Like, where do we go? Is there a place? Is this just it? Is it not? And I don't really know the answer to that, but I've always been fascinated by that. Um, So I think before my nursing experience, I was always uh, a seeker of like, you know, what, what are we here for? What happens afterwards? Um, And really, uh, I was never going into nursing to try to figure that part out. I just thought it was going to be a good career move. So since starting hospice nursing, though, specifically, I do think it's helped my fascination. And it's helped me be like, wow, we really are like magical beings, our Mm -hmm. bodies. I mean, biologically, I'm not saying anything mystical. It's like biological, scientific, science, you know, scientifically based what I'm saying that Mm -hmm. our bodies really are built to take care of us. You know, like we do have specific diseases that can really get in the way of that during the death and dying process, as far as like symptom management and needing someone there to manage some symptoms. But by far, what I've witnessed during the hospice process is that our bodies are like built to die eventually. Mm -hmm. You know, we have built in Mm -hmm. mechanisms to, to help to shut down certain things. So uh, we don't feel hungry. We don't feel thirsty when we can't eat and drink. So before hospice, I was always fascinated, you know, after hospice, it's like, wow, I'm even more fascinated and more um, certain that we are built in a way that like we were able to survive birth, grow, and then, and then uh, die. And we're built for it. Mm. How connected do you feel to your patients and their families? connected for sure. I feel like, uh, but it's not, it's not uh, depressing. Most people think because of that, it would be depressing, but really it's like, well, one, I try to have a uh, a detached connectedness, if that makes sense. I was going to, I was going to ask this because I can imagine you, you probably have to stop yourself to a certain extent from becoming too attached and I guess too involved in the emotional side of things as well. Right. Because you want them to have their experience. It's not about yeah. me. Do you know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. cause it can turn into being about you when you're really involved, right. And your mm-hmm. feelings and what are you, you know, and that's what I don't want. I want them to have their experience. I want to be like a safe space to kind of like keep a calm, you know, in the house uh, versus like me being sad that I'm losing somebody, if that makes sense. It's more of a yeah. like, 
I'm there kind of just to facilitate. I'm like a facilitator versus like really, really part of it. Um, because I want them to, I want them to experience together and have their journey. Um, and now specifically because of what I, uh, it's my, my role in the hospice world has changed over the five years. You know, when you're a case manager, that means you have a caseload of patients and you see them all through until they die or come off service, which does happen. Um, so you are really involved then, and it's easier to get more and more attached because you're there more often. Um, mm -hmm. Now I do mostly education and I see the families first and I do, and I spend like hours with them and I kind of set up their home and educate about medications and their specific disease. So in that time I do get attached in the sense of like, Oh, I really hope, you know, I, I just want to help these families, but then I leave and then the case manager comes in. So it's a little easier now to still feel, still obviously feel for them and feel attached to them, but it's more of a educational experience. Yeah, I can understand I that. Mm -hmm. Well, not only do you share stories that I guess are somewhat unexplained and philosophical, which I, I love. Those are some of my favorite videos of yours to watch. You also <laughs> inform people of your work and about the dying process from a very factual, like you said, biological standpoint. And I think a lot of fears can be subsided through wisdom. So I'll go in with this one. This is kind of a biological factual question that we'll start off with. How does your body know and prepare for death. I know. Isn't that amazing? It really does too. So I don't, I don't know how it knows. That's the mystery <laughs> part, right? Like, how does it know? Uh, yeah. But I know that it does. And it's not just me being like, I know this, you know, we as a healthcare community know this. So for instance, most people who have uh, let's not just cancer, but let's give, let's give a cancer because it's, because it's common, right? So some yeah. type of cancer, right? Well, you'll see weight loss, You'll see mm -hmm. weight loss and you'll see increased sleep. And then really towards the end of life, if, if this cancer is like a terminal kind and it's end stage, the body knows that basically like the drier, meaning the more dehydrated you are, which sounds horrific, but this is why it's uh, amazing. It's like the body mm -hmm. knows it has mechanisms built in to be like, hey, this is the end of life. I'm going to die more peacefully if I don't eat and drink. And mm -hmm. it shuts off mechanisms in our body to make us want to eat and drink. So mm -hmm. hence why you lose a bunch of weight and hence why people who love this person are like, hey, you need to eat. You need to eat to stay alive. And really, that's not that's not the case, because no matter how much food you gave someone who didn't want to eat, that if their body is shutting down, their body is shutting down. And that's mm -hmm. why I always say, let the patient's body be your guide, because our body knows somehow and that's the mystery part and maybe someone know maybe there is someone out there that knows uh why uh, i can't claim to know everything <laughs> but mm -hmm. but that's it's like uh there's built-in things that will start shutting down to say you know what i'm gonna actually feel better if i don't do x y and z this is definitely something that i have seen firsthand so my granddad mm -hmm. he died of cancer stomach cancer actually back in 2012 and honestly me and my family we say this to everyone and I think people that don't really understand this they look at us as as if we're unhinged but we mm -hmm. honestly say having him at home he he was at home with us for about two weeks before he passed we honestly say those two weeks were the best times of all of our lives we had yeah. the best time with him it was pure quality time I feel like we all 
took away something so special from that experience. Yeah. Um, I sort of saw everything firsthand. I saw a lot of a lot of what was going on throughout his treatment as well, just because we were super close. But that that stage that you're talking about, about the sort of the body telling you and, and shutting down and shutting off certain processes, especially towards eating and drinking, I definitely saw with him. I remember us worrying that he wasn't drinking. And I remember we, we froze a load of ice pops and we mm. were trying to give him them up until a certain point and we had a nurse that was there um watching over him every so often just to help out with palliative care and they told us he doesn't want this 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 is not you know this is not something that is needed at this time and I feel like that's almost harder for people that are you know loved ones that are around to understand but yeah it is it is really true I've definitely seen that you know the, the the body and the person that's going through this they they know what they want and it's about listening to their body and and monitoring you know that sort of experience so I, I definitely can relate to that for sure yes oh my gosh I'm glad you I'm so glad you guys had that time together that is amazing mm. that's the kind of stuff that makes me yeah it's just such a beautiful and, you know it's it can be painful you know emotionally yeah. and uh, but also beautiful. I feel like it can be painful and beautiful at the same time. Yeah. It's like the greatest act of love for a family to do for each other, to be mm-hmm. there during the uncomfortable times, to kind of sit with someone, even though you know you're losing them. It's just so, it's just so beautiful. So mm-hmm. happy. Thank you for being there for him. So towards the, I guess, towards the final stages of death, Judy, what what sort of steps or stages does the body go through or do people go through when dying? Are there specific things that happen? Um, Yes. Well, I always preface it with everyone is different because there are those few outliners where people will be be like, that is not how it went for me. Right. And, and I totally appreciate that. And not, but, but, and people really do die the same, you know, like you see very similar things across, across the board, all, all over the world, not in America or in Europe or, you know, it's everywhere. So those Mm -hmm. things are, and this is the last, I want to preface it with usually the last six months of someone who is taking the natural route of death and dying, which would be, even though they're dying from something, um, they're not doing any kind of interventions, right? So the the last six months usually, so once it's, when it's at the six month-ish mark, it's a little more gray, you know, it's a little more vague. It's harder to tell like exactly when they'll go. But what you'll see at that mark is uh, more sleeping and less eating. Those are the big things, more sleeping okay. and less eating. Um, sometimes a little more social withdrawal. So maybe depending on their personality, they might be a little aloof or a little more just socially withdrawn. Not always, yeah. but sometimes people will say like, they're not really acting like themselves. Like maybe they're depressed. Um something like that. And then when it gets closer to like a month, we'll say a month or a few weeks out, uh, maybe eight weeks, um, you'll see a lot more functional decline. Like everyday activities will be kind of hard. You know, they used to walk around the block all the time. Now they're not leaving the house. Now it's Mm -hmm. hard just to get up to go to the bathroom. Um, Maybe some accidents here and there. And definitely, again, more sleeping, less eating, more sleeping, less eating. And then around this mark is the benchmark mark where people start visioning, we call it. And not everybody, but I'd say like 80% of people. So a lot, a lot of people will vision and they'll have dreams of dead relatives or they'll actually see them or they'll speak to them or, um, and it can be, it can be like, 
uh, someone they don't know, but that still feels comforting or dead relatives, meaning their mom or dad or someone who has passed before them animals. Uh, sometimes uh, they can say they see angels. It depends. But mm-hmm. usually around that mark is when you'll start seeing that. So when, I, when someone says that to me, I usually know they have about a month left. So then it just kind of is the same stuff. Like it just increased, right? So more sleeping, yeah. less eating, more sleeping, less eating. And then once you start getting to uh, the actively dying phase, which is like a few days to a few hours, almost every single person looks the same. And that's mostly unresponsive Mm -hmm. sleeping. I'd say 20 to 22 hours a day, Um, Mm -hmm. no eating and drinking for the most part. And then once you're really, really close, meaning like definitely within a day or so you um, will be changes in breathing, which confuses a lot of people because they think it's bad, but it's really normal. And as long as they cry. Yep. Yeah. Quick. Yeah. I remember there can be like quick breathing and then pause. And then Mm -hmm. quick breathing and then pause or really long pauses between each breath, almost like you have to watch to be like, are they still breathing? And then they'll Mm -hmm. breathe again. And people will associate that sometimes with pain and suffering, but really it's not. It's, it's, uh, and how do we know is because how the person looks, um, if they look comfortable, even though they're breathing funny, they're okay. So changes in breathing and then changes in skin color. Um, also during this time, their, their temperature could change quickly. So hot to cold. Um, or cold to hot, and then the death rattle, which of course is actually called terminal secretions, mm-hmm. uh, but it happens right before death. So people call it the death rattle and it just sounds like a rattling. Their, yeah. their breath can sound kind of moist and people hate it, but also yeah. very normal. Continuing the conversation on Proverbs after this short break. Something that you mentioned was the the visions and the dreams. I remember this being something that we really led into and we really encouraged as a family as well. Yeah, my, so my granddad, he was at home for two weeks and honestly, they thought he was going to last a couple of days and he had some really, really strong fight and spirit. And I would say for yeah. a good, for a good 10 days, he was great he was almost reverting back to his normal self he was absolutely hilarious and we oh, sat on yeah. his bed for hours and hours and hours his he always had a great sense of humor but he was cracking the greatest jokes he he had the um the nurses that would come round and, and take turns in absolute stitches he was really really funny during that time <laughs> um and then yeah i would say for i would say he, he fell into some sort of, it, it was, I guess it was kind of like a coma. Um, I would say like 24 to 48 hours before he actually passed. But two days before then, um, that's when he was talking about seeing things. And he said that, you know, he would see geese and rainbows and, and we would really encourage him to, to speak about that. And we'd really lean into it because we, we found that such a beautiful experience. Do we know why that happens at, at all, Judy? No, I wish no. we did. I wish we I know, did. Right? But it's um <laughs> I know it's so but that is one of the uh that's the first thing when I started my TikTok and Instagram. That was one of the first things I wanted to tell people about because it has and I always it never fails, right? Because those videos always are very popular. So millions of yep. views, right? Which which bring a bunch of haters, <laughs> which is mm-hmm. okay. I don't I don't really care. I don't really pay attention to them. Mm-hmm. But what they think is they think I am personally pushing an agenda that there mm-hmm. is something after we die, right? Or mm-hmm. there, and and 
Um, I'm not. It is just it is just something we have to educate. We actually educate yeah. our families about it because it happens so often across the board that mm-hmm. people will say, my dad needs medication. He's hallucinating. Something's wrong. And, and then we hear what's happening. I'm like, oh, no, no, that's normal. He doesn't need medication. As long as he's happy with it, we're good with it. And they'll be like, yeah. oh, <laughs> okay. Yeah. And whether it's a hallucination or not, we, we don't know. But we know yeah. it happens all the time. No, I mean, you're, you know, you're there to inform. Um, and I think, you know, through information that that reduces people's worries and, and fears, and then whatever you want to believe that is beyond that, that is up to your own interpretation. We had so sort of speaking from, I guess, more of a philosophical um, perspective. Now we had so many signs um, the week after he passed my, my mm. nan, she lives about two miles, I guess, from the nearest lake. Um, and literally a couple of days after he passed, there were geese that were all over her front lawn staring oh up God. at her while she was putting on her makeup. And obviously we, we remember him talking about geese. And then we used to have this bell, which was from the war, um, from World War II that my granddad, I think he must have inherited or was in his family house. And we gave him the bell to ring whenever he wanted something. Um, and he would play around with us. So he'd be laying in bed when he was at home and he'd ring the bell and we'd obviously all rush up thinking that he needed something. And he used to joke around with us and just time how long it took us <laughs> it took for us to get up the stairs. <laughs> well, we actually heard that same bell ringing a couple of days after he passed as well. So I, I think it is all up to what you believe in and, and how you interpret certain things. But I know that, you know, that can certainly give people peace and comfort. And you know what? Who knows? It's, it's, the, knows? it's the age old question, right? I think keep yes. your mind open and whatever, whatever helps you through that grieving process. I don't think, you know, anyone is there to, to judge on. Um, I guess this is a question that you probably get asked a lot as well. This is something that we were really conscious of, too. Um, but can you hear when you're dying, Julie? Can you can you still hear things that are going on, even if you are sort of in a comatose state? Yeah, so we think people can. And the reason mm-hmm. why that is is because they have done they have done studies with EEGs, uh, which are like elect- electrodes that go on the brain that can measure brain waves and and what's happening. And they've they um, noticed that the hearing part of the brain is one of the last things to shut down. So that's one Mm -hmm. of the reasons why we do think people can hear us, even if they're not responding. And then the second reason is because people who have not died, who have come, who've come quote unquote, come back, um, which I don't really like using that term because they were never really gone. But like, if they were in, like when I used to work in the ICU, we would have people intubated and medically induced coma, just like if you were um, in a, like a dying unresponsive state who have been, you know, brought out of the coma and have gotten better and say that they could hear what was going on. Mm-hmm. And the good thing is, is when they could hear, because to me, that sounds kind of bad to hear what's going on and you, but you can't do anything about it, <laughs> but they, yeah. um, um, I haven't really heard people say how awful that was. I've heard people say it was really comforting. They could kind of hear, um, maybe like a little bit like it was underwater, but they could hear their dad's voice or they could hear their mom's voice or they knew which nurse was on duty. Cause of the different voices or this nurse would sing to me, this nurse, you know? Um, so that's why we think people can still hear us in some form. Yeah. yeah. We were really conscious. I remember um, as, as he was about to die and obviously, you know, you're, as you said, you're sort of aware of that 
exact moment. Um, I remember us all standing around my granddad's bed and we were all very conscious that, you know, we were all as much as, you know, that's that's probably the most difficult time because that is a moment where you are about to let go. We were all conscious that, you know, we weren't being too dramatic or traumatic and we were just reminding him that he was loved and it was yeah. you know we tried to keep a, an element of positivity just in case you know he was sort of aware of of what was going on um in a certain sense I, I feel like we've touched on on this a couple of times throughout this episode Julie but are there any other things that you can think of that I guess still cannot be explained about the dying process um, I forgot to talk about the rally, which can happen during the di- death and dying process. So I was thinking okay. about that when I was describing the shutting down of the body over six months. So mm-hmm. the rally doesn't happen with everybody. Uh, I actually used to call it the surge, but then um, I think most people call it the rally. So <clears throat> either way, it's the rally, it's the surge, it's uh, this thing that happens in about a third of patients where I guess it was on a Grey's Anatomy episode too, because whenever I post about it, like 50 million people talk about Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> so I guess that they, they uh, did an episode about it. But um, it's when someone is very close to the end of life and then suddenly they have this burst of energy. It can look mm-hmm. different for everybody, um, but they can almost look like they're getting back to their old self. And it's kind of like, whoa, like it's extreme enough that people think, man, man, maybe there's a turn for the better mm-hmm. here. And then they die shortly afterwards. Okay. So to me, it's a beautiful thing. If you know what's going on, it's a devastating yep. thing. If you don't know what's going on. Um, and it's very specific because I, when I make a video about it, a lot of people will say, oh, my loved one did this for a month. Um, And I guess I shouldn't say it's probably not the rally, but it's probably not the rally because it's very specific. It's like for a day or two, this burst of energy, and then they die right after. So that's something we can't explain. We see, we see it enough that I always try to educate families before it happens so they can Mm -hmm. kind of take those a couple of days and really enjoy them. Um, and then understand that, hey, this might be the last, you know, the last hurrah. So let's just be here for each other and. Uh, and maybe not if it, if they if they continue to do well. Hey, I like it. But yeah, <laughs> yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. I think this next question that I'm going to ask you, I think you've discussed this before in a video, and I think it's actually one of your most viewed videos. But I'll ask you it for for anyone that that hasn't seen your video that you posted about this on TikTok. Have you had any patients connect with you after death? Yes, I have had one, <laughs> and of course, like. <laughs> it's so funny for some reason I've always you know it's 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 I uh, it's hard to talk about like mystical things that happen right because yeah uh one I'm trying to be taken seriously <laughs> you know as yeah. an healthcare professional so when something that's so unexplained but so powerful I finally made the choice to be like you know what I'm just going to tell, I'm just going to tell people because it was so powerful to me, you know, and it's still, and it still has been. And I'm glad that people like the video because it makes me feel validated (laughs) one. Mm -hmm. And I think people also, it it goes to show that many many people have had these experiences. So yes, I have had one patient uh, who I still love dearly, obviously. Uh, Mm -hmm. I feel like show me what it's like when you die. Um, 
Um, I couldn't, I can say that now in hindsight, right? When it was happening, I was like, it was just, I was in the moment, purely in the moment with this person in my head, <laughs> mm -hmm. uh, not really knowing what was happening. Even afterwards, it was kind of like, what the heck just happened? You know, but it was, um, I tell the story in the video. I have a couple of videos about it on my TikTok. Um, I've told it a couple of different ways, but basically this patient of ours was dying. I knew, I knew they were. I was in their home and I could tell he was dying very soon. And I left my uh, continuous care nurse there to be with him until he died. And I left and I was in my car and just thinking about him and hoping he had a very peaceful death. And we were all very, very close to this man. And I was happy for him, really. I was sad, but mostly happy for him that we did a really good job. And, and he knew that and, um, he looked very peaceful. So I was just thinking about that, you know, and wishing him well. And then suddenly I could hear his voice in my head and I could feel something. Right. And now I looking back, I think I could feel what he was feeling, but at the time it was mm -hmm. like, I don't know what's happening, but I feel like this overwhelming feeling of like presence and freedom and release and joy. And just, it's almost hard to put words to it. That's how powerful it was. But it, if you can think of those, how those emotions feel, it felt like that times 10, you know? Mm -hmm. And he was basically just saying to me how wonderful it, whatever it is, how wonderful it is. I can't believe this. Mm -hmm. It's so wonderful. I cannot believe this. If I knew, if I ever, if I knew, cause he, he, um, he wasn't afraid at the very end, but he was very uh, alert and oriented through most of our time together. So we would have very uh, philosophical conversations, just like you and I are having about death and mm -hmm. how he felt and was he scared and you know, what, it, what's it going to be like? And he was saying my name too, which gave me chills. It was like, he was going, wow. like, oh my gosh, Julie, if I only knew how good this was going to be. You know, I just yeah. had no idea. It was like he was flying, which sounds kind of cheesy, but that's how it felt. It was mm -hmm. like he was flying and there was just so much joy and so much exuberance. And he was basically just saying, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, if I only knew, if I only knew how good this was, if I only knew how good this was. And I was, of course, crying because I was overwhelmed in my car with what was happening. And mm -hmm. um, that lasted for like 20 to 30 seconds of him just mm -hmm. telling me how beautiful everything was and how happy he was and how amazing it was. And then it stopped and then my phone rang and my nurse inside said he had died. And I was thinking, I know, because <laughs> wow. I just, I just, he just <laughs> showed me what it was like. And I didn't yeah. say that, of course, because I was like, what the hell just happened? And yeah, I mean, that was probably, I was very, I was very new to hospice nursing. So that was at least five years ago. But even to this mm -hmm. day, it's like, that still means so much to me. And, uh, has really, I wouldn't say like changed how I felt. Cause I kind of knew, I kind of felt like that's how it would be, but it kind of solidified it, you know? And it makes me, makes me feel like, thank you. Thank you for giving me that experience. It's amazing. Yeah. That is so special. That is such a wonderful experience and, and story. So amazing. Um, I love that. I absolutely love that so much. Um, Julie, I, I guess I'll, I'll ask you this question as well, which uh, I feel like we've, we've answered. Um, but for anyone out there that you know is is still still sort of skeptical why do you believe that death is something that shouldn't be feared that's such a great question that's so good <laughs> um so i think i would start with this it's okay to fear it 
Like, I think a lot of people resist, including myself, my mom and my, you know, I always joke, like, I'm hospice nurse Julie trying to help people normalize death. Meanwhile, I have a mother who, like, refuses to watch my videos. (laughs) You know, not really. She's coming around to it. But, like, she, you know, so I think it's very normal, very normal to fear death, very normal to fear the unknown, very normal to fear all the things, losing your loved one, you know. Um, so I think we should start there with like normalizing that and normalizing the fact that we do fear it. So, so we can not fearing it. I almost feel like the resistance of like, I don't want to talk about it because it's, Mm -hmm. is, is what, is what, uh, causes the fear. Right. And I think Mm -hmm. if we can start with like acknowledging, Hey, I feel a little afraid. I don't like this. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'll, and then I say like, I know you're really normal. It's totally normal to be afraid of that. And Mm -hmm. let's just start there. Uh, because what I found is I didn't even start out. I did not, I did not start out this whole TikTok Instagram thing, um, to help with like, um, death anxiety and like true fear of death is so many people write, write to me saying watching my videos has helped them not. The reason why we don't need to fear death is because there's a whole program. One, there's a whole program, I think, built into our bodies to help us do it. And two, hospice and palliative care is full of experts to help with that. You know, there's a whole community of people I guess we can call, let's call them death workers or something where we are experts in this field and we can help. So it doesn't need to be fear. And I feel like feared. And the, and the more we talk about it, the less, the less and less, I think people will fear it. I think it needs to come out into the open, just like birth, just, I mean, you know, birth, people talk about birth, uh, you know, it just needs to be in the open. We need to shine a light on it. And I think we're doing that. You are doing it. And and it's so great. I think, you know, of course, we're we're scared of things that are seemingly, you know, the unknown. And there is, of course, there's so, so many questions that we still have about death and what comes after it that we don't know. And we may not ever know until it happens to us. But there is so much that we do know. And there's so much that Mm -hmm. you can educate on. And a lot of that stuff actually isn't scary. You can see there there are elements of beauty that you can take from that experience. Um, So, yeah, no, I I think I think education and wisdom is key, as always. Um, I'm going to ask you this question, Judy. This is always the final one of every single episode. I feel (laughs) like you're going to have a great answer for this, though. With all that you've seen, what is your mantra in life? What keeps you going? What gets you up in the morning? Oh, my gosh, I have so many. I have so many. There's a lot of pressure Um, on this. (laughs) I really feel like I'm just going to say my classic one because it really is something I say and I remind myself. It has to do with hospice, but it also just has to do with life, right? Because hospice, death does have to do with life. So acceptance is the answer to all of my problems today. And I feel like people are like, what? (laughs) What what does that mean? But I really do feel like acceptance, like if you can't get out of it, get into it, man. You're right. Mm -hmm. Like you can't, we can't get out of this life really. So let's get into it. And we can't, if if we do, if we are diagnosed with something terminal, um, which we all will be in some form, I guess, if I'm lucky enough to kind of know that I'm dying versus like a car accident or something. um, I Mm -hmm. feel like acceptance it doesn't mean you have to like lay down and not do anything about it, but just the, just this acceptance of what is to me has been a really great gift to myself. It helps me relax a little more, helps me not fight stuff so much. 
I can just sort of let go. That is a great one. It's one to definitely put on a t-shirt as well. I can see you making a little merch line and a little money off of that. But for sure, I think, you know, we, we, it's, it's a good thing sometimes to just exist in the space that you're in right yes. now, good and bad, because you yes. can learn so much about that experience and about yourself as well. And I think it teaches you strength and resilience. So I think that's a real, real good one. And I think we can all we can all take something away from that and learn a lot from it. Julie, I have loved this episode so much. It's been so amazing to chat to you. Go and follow Julie on TikTok. She's doing some amazing work. Julie, thank you so much for being here. This has been one of my favorites. Thanks, Daisy. Nice to meet you. It's been great. And that concludes this episode of Proverbs with Daisy Maskell. That is me. I hope you enjoyed it. Hit subscribe so you don't miss out on any future episodes and I will see you soon.